thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. He's doing well. Hey, uh, number one, I just want to say it is always an honor to get to share the word of God with you. I am so, on behalf of Pastor David and Renata, I am always honored anytime we get to open up the scriptures and share what the word of God says, and today is no different. So happy belated Thanksgiving. Hopefully you had a great time with family, eating, all the things. Um, But let's pray. I believe God has something for us today in Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to land. But let's pray, and then I want to just jump straight into it today. So Jesus, we love you. God, we just, even at the top, we just declare that you are king, even as Pastor David prayed it a moment ago, that you are the king of kings, you are the Lord of lords. So Jesus, today, as we open up your scriptures, we open up your word, God, I pray that you would give us fresh revelation on the identity of Jesus today. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us individually and uniquely. God, that you would do a profound work in our hearts that only can be accomplished by your power and your might. Jesus, we worship you and we give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the people said amen. 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 Hey, have you, in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives this indication. He goes on this little diatribe about the power of our thought life. He actually says that our thoughts actually impact how our life goes. And it's this amazing moment because so many, so frequently we don't realize the impact of our thoughts. You see, here's what happens in your brain. When you have a thought, your brain creates this little mental map from that thought all the way to the emotions that you feel, and then it ties it to the actions that follow. So when we hear Pastor David say, convictions lead and feelings follow, there's a reason why that's so powerful. It's because what he's doing, what he's saying is that we allow that, we create a shortcut, a mental shortcut from a thought, from something that enters into our mind to the end action that it produces. So what happens is when we have a thought, when we think something, good or bad, so here, let me give you some examples. I have a conviction, I have a thought that the University of Cincinnati should be in the college football playoffs. They have an undefeated season, they're on my alma mater, I am passionate about that, right? So because I have that thought, what happens is it takes me no time to go, my emotions are invested in that thought. My actions are impacted by that thought, because I'm going to watch the football game. I'm going to yell at my TV. I'm going to cheer. You know what I mean? My actions all the way started here, all the way here at a thought that I had, that I allowed that thought to become hardwired. I became a, a super highway in your brain to go from thought to action as quickly as possible. Let me give you a better example because that's superficial and it has nothing to do with church. So I have a conviction that I want my children, I want to know the scripture. I want to have scripture memorized. I want my kids to memorize scripture. I want my family to be a house that's filled with worship music. So that's a thought that I have. So the the more I can dwell and meditate on the word of God, the more my thought life and my emotions will be tied to that conviction, right? So then the more my actions will follow in that pathway. 
So if I have a conviction that like David said in the Psalms, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. What happens is the more that I allow that conviction of the word of God to be placed in my mind, when I look at the stock market and it loses 902 points in one day, my emotions can stay in check. That I don't have to live in fear because I know my conviction is that God is my provider and he, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging for bread. So my, my actions go, peace. I'm relaxed. I'm not stressing out. I'm not worried. I'm not getting emotional and getting worried and saying, Christmas is canceled. The stock market went down. You know what I mean? That's not happening in our house. Why? It's not because the reality, the, the emotions could be there, but I'm allowing the conviction of the word of God to be placed higher than anything else in my life. So when we look at Jesus, we have to allow our convictions of who he is, present tense, to supersede an emotional response in a moment. This is why Instagram and things like this are so powerful because what they do is they repeat a thought pattern. And the more you repeat that thought, the faster your brain makes that shortcut. So it goes from around the river and through the woods to get there. All of a sudden now your, your brain is traveling on a super highway that can get there like that because you've meditated on a thought. That's why these algorithms that we look at, we put in front of our face all day long are so powerful because they're reinforcing a thought pattern. And the more a thought is reinforced, the harder it is to change the pattern. That's why we invest so much in kids ministry at Radiant Church. It's not that we don't love everyone, we love everyone, but we're trying to get some thoughts, some convictions, some, some beliefs hardwired early on so that those kids can grow up and they don't have to change those thoughts and just change those patterns and, and experience all of that, the pain that comes in that, but they can actually live an entire life following passionately after Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we have to allow the conviction that he is king of all to permeate us, to be transformative in our hearts and our lives. Because as Christians, let's be real, the global image of Christianity is the cross, right? Rightfully so, Jesus dying as our savior on the cross. The image of Jesus, the savior, is so easy to get behind because he's dying for us. He's doing what only he could do. He's, he is the satisfaction that we can never give God because he lived a perfect, sinless life. He is the image. I mean, it is just amazing. We love hanging out there. And we love deferring his kingship to a future day. We love saying that he is our past savior. He has saved us, but he, and he is going to be our king one day. We like to think through the images of Jesus riding on our white horse, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Like we, we love all that imagery, but what happens is in the trap that we can find ourselves in is this, that he is a past tense savior and a future tense king, and we neglect the present. He is our king, present tense, right here, right now. Jesus has had the victory. His kingdom has already been inaugurated and we're living in the midst of his kingdom on earth. That's why over and over in the gospels, you read Jesus giving parables and telling stories as we're talking about being a disciple. Well, over and over, he said the kingdom of God is like. You can't have a parable or an analogy of what something is like unless there is substance that you're communicating it about. 
You can't say the kingdom of God is like a man who went on a journey if there's no kingdom. Jesus over and over and over communicated kingship. Even when you look at John 14 and verse 15, he says, look at this. If you love me, you would keep my commands. It's such an interesting sentence that Jesus gives us. Because Jesus is not saying it's predicated on belief. This statement is predicated on obedience. So when you think about just like, or like think about your life, think about how life goes. The only person who has full authority to give a commandment is a king. Everything else is debatable. Jesus, even the phrasing that he's saying, he's obedience is a key designation of those who would be following him. It's, an, it's a requirement, and yet somehow we try to rationalize our way around full and unrivaled obedience to Jesus. Here's how this happens. Here's the trap that we find ourselves in. When we begin to rationalize our way out of obedience, we transform Jesus from our king into a spiritual consultant. So this is what this looks like. Think about what a consultant is. A consultant is a subject matter expert who you're going to ask questions about. You're going to allow them to give you information. But at the end of the day, you are left with the final decision of, am I going to listen? Am I going to do what this person is telling me to do or not? You see, if Jesus is a king, devotion is mandated. Obedience is implied. But if he's a consultant, we've got all kinds of margin to decide what we want to do. There's an there's a, a interaction that Jesus has in Mark chapter 10. This is where we're going to hang out for the most of the, our time together. And I believe this interaction more than anyone just illustrates this point. And it says this, and, and as he, this is Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So we have this man interacting with Jesus that Mark and Matthew and Luke all refer to as the rich young ruler. Now this is interesting. There's so much into this account. And I, one of the most interesting pieces of this is that his name is never mentioned. So when you think about all of the different people that we have accounts of in the gospel interacting with Jesus, we see old, young, rich, poor, influential, humble. We see all of these different types of people interacting with Jesus. And yet here we are, we see this rich, young ruler that we never find out his name. He has become nothing but labels. Exterior identifiers. 
I mean, think about this. When like people in power that Jesus interacted with, you see Joseph of Arimathea, you see Caiaphas, the high priest, you see Nicodemus, you see Herod, you Pontius Pilate, Jairus, you see these people who are in influence and in authority, Jesus names. They're accounted for in the gospel. And yet you also see very poor people. You see Mary Magdalene, blind Bartimaeus, Lazarus, Martha, rich and poor, influential, no influence. And yet we see in all of them, Jesus identifying them by their names. And yet this, this rich young ruler, his entire identity becomes tied to these three things. Rich, young, and a ruler. And I think if we allow ourselves, our trap is to become identified by these labels as well. And let me get it straight. There's not, they're not always negative labels. I mean, come on, let's be let's, full transparency. I don't think anyone in this room would complain about being rich, young, or a ruler. Like, that's a good social standing if you can merit it. You know, it's, it's this moment. So it's not that these labels are bad. It's just that that's that's all we have to identify him now. We become the people who work too much. We become the people who snap and respond on Instagram. We become the people who pick your thing, or is, is obsessed about this one thing, or is, is, lives a super fearful life, and I'm always afraid of this, or I'm always afraid of that, or, or I'm just, I'm not afraid of anything. You know what I mean? We allow all of these labels to get deep down inside of us, and instead of allowing our identity to come from Christ, as the king, he's the one who gets to determine our identity. And then we see him just walking through this, this text. We see him running up to Jesus. Now, socially, this is a bigger construct than I think we get today because running was really frowned upon in this, in this era. I mean, men, especially older men, did not run because lots of reasons. They, they thought it was distasteful, but let's be real. Who's seen your dad run? You, you can't take that image away. Like, there's a old, they just don't, don't run. Just, they, they walked everywhere. So he runs up to Jesus and he asks them a very direct question. This is not an ambiguous question. And even in the text, you can see that he, he'd been a devout follower of God his entire life. He said, I've done all of these things my entire life, Jesus. And yet Jesus, I love this in verse 21, because Jesus becomes so personal after he asked a question. In verse 21, it says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Now that phrase was probably something this, person, this man, this rich young ruler had probably never really encountered in his life before. I mean, let's be real. Jesus is looking at him and saying, you lack something. What, what could have he lacked? I mean, he had all the markings of, of fame, influence, power in this day and age. You lack something is not a phrase that he would have been familiar with. And yet Jesus looking at him, I love it. I, and I even love the, the phrasing of Mark that looking at him loved him. This is not like angry Jesus interacting with someone he thought was a terrible person. He looks at him and he loved him. 
This is like the chosen Jesus, smiley, happy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is that, kind, this is that interaction. And he's going like, you lack one thing. And he had the ability to buy or take almost anything he wanted, probably. I believe, looking at the scriptures, looking at the gospel accounts of this, he lacked full and unrivaled devotion to God, to Jesus. He failed to identify who Jesus was. And because of that, his entire interaction with Jesus went a different direction. You see, even the title he gave to Jesus, he said, good teacher. So when you approach Jesus and you're referring to him as good teacher, not, not king, not Messiah, not, not Lord of all, but teacher, you're not properly identifying him. I mean, just think through some of the interactions of, the, of, the, of Jesus throughout the Gospels. You see, some people identifying Jesus as king, Lord of lords. I mean, think about Peter's interaction with him. You're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And yet here we go, here we have the rich young ruler saying, good teacher. You see, unless we allow the kingship of Jesus to become hardwired in our minds, that conviction that he is king of all, unless we allow that, that thought to become, that conviction to become hardwired into a thought that leads to action, we will always view him as more of a spiritual consultant than the king of our lives. I mean, and it's impossible to be fully alive in Christ without fully, without Christ being in the position of king in your life. Because you can only be fully devoted to someone you fully trust. And when he is just a consultant to you, when he's just a spiritual advisor to you, you're saying, I'm willing to hear you, but I may not be willing to obey you. And in that moment, we pull back our trust. And we say, I'll, I'll trust you up to this line and no further. But if Jesus is king, then it is unrivaled devotion no matter what. I mean, look at Psalm 34. It says that those who trust him will lack no good thing. If we're not willing to trust in Jesus, we will have lack in our life. There will always be that aching hole inside of our hearts that goes, is there more? Can my heart be more alive? Can my heart be more full of passion and commitment and dedication? Can I see God do more in my life? Is, is there more the lack, the aching of your heart? But when we trust him and we step across that line and say, you are my king, you're my Lord, all that I have is yours. We step across that line and we say, we will trust you. 
And that moment of trust is the moment that we become alive because we're saying, I'm going to be fully committed to you. And then send that place of full commitment, full sinful, all go to Jesus that he responds and says, as you seek me, you'll find me. And it unlocks it. We are enabled to step into a place relationally with the King of Kings that we never would have thought of before. We can only be fully devoted to something that we fully trust. My kids have been running around the house. They just learned what trust falls are. You know where this is going. And it's been hysterical because they will get, they get so nervous every time. They're, they want to do it. They're like, they just yell, Jossie, trust fall. And it's like, they try to get each other to fall over, but they'll be across the room. They will not catch each other. So this is hurting our, the family trust. But you, if you're not fully able and willing to trust, you're not really able to fully commit. We were joking around about this the other day. And literally, this is where Rachel was like, here, I'll show you how to do it, right? And then she was like, Nathan, you catch. I'll do a trust fall and so the kids could see what it was supposed to be like. No, I'm not even exaggerating. This is what it looked like in our house. I was like, okay, Rachel, trust fall. And she was like, okay. I, I was like, I'm, of all people, I'm going to catch you. She was like, okay, okay. And then she kind of did like an air squat. Like just, I was like, okay, you're fired. We, we're giving up. Like just... Give me one of the kids. Come here. Come here. Like, it's this moment. It's like you, if, you're not, if you're not willing to fully trust, you won't fully commit. Jesus is sitting there saying, come on, fully trust me. You lack one thing. It's unrivaled devotion to me. You can trust me. Those who trust me will lack no good thing. And we're sitting here like doing an air squat. Like, are you really there? I don't know. Like, we've got to be willing to fully trust Jesus. When we stand face to face with Jesus, the hope, the aim is well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness equates to obedience. The sum value of our lives is not measured by our Instagram followings, by the exterior titles and trappings of this world. The sum value of our lives, it will be measured in the weight of our obedience to Christ, our King. And if we're not willing to trust him, we won't be fully committed to him. He's more than a consultant. He's the King. When Jesus is your consultant, we have the option to take what he says. I mean, look at what he says in verse 21. Let's, let's jump back into verse 21 and 22. He says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I love that Jesus gave him the invitation. I mean, you, you see Jesus's authentic love for this man. And come, follow me. That invitation that he gives each and every single one of us was presented to this rich young ruler. But in verse 22, it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. When there's no pressure, there's no need to adhere to the commands of God, to his statements, they become suggestions. 
And when the word of God is only a suggestion, you will never experience all that he has for you. Look, Isaiah 66, two is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It says, this is whom I will esteem. Those who have a humble and contrite heart and tremble at my word. When was the last time we trembled at the word of God? Whether it's a verse in the Bible that we've read and we say, I, I need to, I, there's something I need to change in my life to become obedient to this verse. When was the last time the Holy Spirit spoke to us when we're journaling and, and devotion and we said, I'm gonna change this, I'm gonna shift this about my life because I'm gonna tremble at the word of God. My value system for the word of God, the, the word of God is Jesus. Jesus become flesh and blood and moved into, it's the word of God. He was there ever present, John chapter one. It, Jesus, the word of God, when he speaks, do we tremble? When he's your king, it's obedience only. There's no other option. There's no choice in the equation. It's not a, a multiple choice exam. It's only true, false. Yes, I will, or no, I won't. You see, to this rich young ruler, Jesus was another voice telling him what he could do, not the voice telling him what to do. Maybe he thought Jesus was just another young up and coming rabbi who was growing in fame and popularity in Israel. And he thought, hey, maybe this, maybe this rabbi, maybe this teacher could teach me or give me an insight on how to thrive under Roman rule. Maybe he was gonna teach me how I can better position myself within the nation of Israel to take my next step in influence and fame or in popularity. Or maybe he was going to teach me something else. Maybe he was going to say something. Hey, I wanna inherit eternal life. I want to have a life that ends with me and God face to face for all eternity. How, you know, he's asking these questions and hoping that Jesus doesn't say what he says. he would have been well-known in social circles. So when Jesus says, go and sell all that you have and come follow me, like, I, I'm, I mean, sometimes I think we get like historical snobbery when we look at stories in the Bible and we go, because we know the end, you know what I mean? We know how they end. So then we look back and go, I can't believe you did that. Like, you know what I mean? Like we know the, how the story ends and we know who Jesus is and we're going like, I can't believe you just blew that. What an idiot. But, I, but in this moment, in this time, like think about it. And when Jesus is speaking to us, when even here and now, we often do the very same thing. When Jesus says to us, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to step into this. I want you to give this up. I want you to take this step. I want you to begin setting your alarm earlier than what you currently do so that you can spend time with me in the morning so that you don't run your whole day without spending time with and hearing from me and reading your word and, and doing that. And it's this moment when at the same time, we, we rationalize ourselves out of obedience just like he did. And it's this moment where we see, and we're not privy to all of the why behind Jesus saying this to him. Listen, Jesus is not against you having influence. He is not against you having wealth. He's not against you being young and all of these different things. But what he is saying in this interaction, specifically to this rich young ruler, this is what he needed to do. 
Maybe, Je- maybe Jesus knew that this person's things had him. You know, it's not that Jesus is against you having things. He's against your things having you. So maybe Jesus is looking at him and seeing past the artificial external str- titles and labels and saying, here's, here's what you need to do. And how incredible is that that the king of the universe will speak to us as an individual? And the rich young ruler walks away sad, disheartened. And honestly, I imagine Jesus walks away a little sad. Here he is, giving the invitation of following him. And he gets turned down. Who knows what could have happened in this young man's life? Who knows the ministry impact over decades and years of following him? Think about what the 12 disciples were able to accomplish. And yet this rich young ruler had the very same invitation to follow him. And yet he walks away. When Jesus is a consultant, there's always the option. It's been about a decade, but uh, about 10 years ago, I had a project I was working on at the church I was serving at, and they wanted, wanted me to overhaul this area of ministry. And I said, great, I, I love researching things. So, um, so I was pumped up, fired up. I, I love doing deep dives into areas. And I, I reached out to a few people as consultants, and I said, hey, let's, let's uh, Zoom your FaceTime, and we're going to meet. We met like monthly for about six months. We created an entire like plan of attack. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do this. Um, felt good about it. I presented it to my boss, my oversight, and they said, hey, no, we're not going to do that. And I said, okay. And then I found a different person. I found a different consultant. I was like, okay, let's do this again and let's keep working through this. And they said, eh, hey, we're gonna, we'll take that idea, but we're gonna tweak it like this. You know why it was so easy? Because they were just consultants. But when Jesus is the king, we give up our freedom to say no. And in my opinion, a conviction that leads to a yes, it's beautiful. Sometimes we think that our emotions should just scream yes. I, I, I want my emotions to scream yes, but if I'm being honest with you, they don't always. Because I know that my yes will get me to the right action, but sometimes I just have to have the conviction to say yes even though my emotions are screaming, no, don't do this. This is gonna hurt. This is gonna be painful. You're gonna lose sleep. You might lose money. You might lose this. You might lose influence. You might do this. You might, all of the negative, all the bad things that could happen if you say yes. And yet the conviction is saying, say yes. God's spoken, say yes. God's spoken, say yes. And the conviction has to override my emotions because in that moment, my actions begin to align with my convictions. And when your actions align with your convictions, you're in a place of full trust to Jesus. And those who trust him will lack no good thing. When Jesus is a consultant, he will never have the final say in your life. But when a king speaks, the decision is made. 
It doesn't matter what the decision is. It doesn't matter what he's asking you to give up, to do, to take ground, what area of, of ministry or influence he's saying, hey, you need to give this up. It doesn't matter because he is the king. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is this, is when David is hiding out in the caves and he's, he's talking about, oh, I wish I had a drink from the well in my youth. And Abishai and Uriah and some of his mighty men say, you know what, let's go, let's go get this water. They literally break through Philistine encampment, pull water from the well, put it in you know, a skin or a container, fight all the way back through the entire army, bring the water to David. And you know what David does? He pours it out. And he says, far be it from me that the blood that these men shed, should I ever drink this water? And he pours it out as a drink offering to the Lord. What? You had your, your most fierce warriors fighting this battle, going on this like secret night mission to go get you this drink and you pour it out? How does that make sense? It makes sense because he's the king. He can do whatever he wants. You don't get to decide. We do not get to decide what Jesus does with our obedience. We just have to worry about obedience. And so often we're fixated on the end result that we think is going to happen, but we do not know the end result. All we know is that we should be obedient. And when he's your king, he demands our obedience. Psalm 10, 16 says, the Lord is king forever and ever. There is no end to his kingdom. I love it. Jeremiah 10, 10 says, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. This is not a, a season of our lives that we kind of readjust and we look, okay, Jesus is going to be king for this season. And then I'm going to move on and then I'm going to mature and then I'm going to, you know, become less passionate about being fully obedient to him that I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of, marinate on it. And then, you know, I'm going to look for consultants. I'm going to look for wisdom. So we go to social media, we go to YouTube, we go to all these different things, looking for another voice of expertise. And the whole time Jesus is saying, I am the King. And if you will step out into full obedience to me, you will live a life of unrivaled fulfillment. You may not know where it's going to end up, but you will always know that the king is right with you. You know, often we think that in these moments that we're, we're giving up, we're giving up our freedom, we're giving up our, our, our influence, we're giving up our wealth, we're giving, we think about it in terms of what we're giving up. But in Matthew 33, Jesus tells a story about, tells a parable about a man who found a treasure in a, in a field. And he went out and he sold all that he had to possess it. And it's this really short parable. But when you think about how profound and how big of an action that would have taken, it's astounding. When you think about your life and you think about, okay, if I'm going to give up, I'm going to get rid of everything that I possess. That's not a, like, 
a Friday afternoon project. You know what I mean? Like you're putting your house on the market. You're liquidating vehicles. You're, you're selling stock. You're doing all of these different things. You're, you're getting rid of every single asset that you have. And pause there and just embrace this moment. What would people be saying about you? What would your children be saying? Dad, mom, you're ruining my inheritance. You've lost your mind. Like, I need to take the power of return. You know what I mean? Like, think about, like, the moments all this would be happening. Like, you'd be giving rid of everything. Your neighbors, your friends, your circle of influence, the people you know, your children, your family, your, par your parents. What would they be saying to you? Yet I'm giving it all up. Looking like a fool for the moment. But knowing in your heart there's a treasure that is a far greater worth than anything that I could have ever given up. Think about the reaction when they realize he's purchased the field, he owns the great treasure, and its worth is immeasurable compared to what he gave up. King and consultants, the rich young ruler walking away because he was afraid of what he was going to have to give up. The man in the field understood the worth and the value and the net impact of his life if he was willing to give it up. One looks at Jesus as a consultant and one looks at Jesus as a king. And the question to all of us today and really every day is, is Jesus our king or is he just another spiritual consultant? If you would, close your eyes. See, when we allow him to become our king, we're able to see all that he desires for us. There is great treasure in a life fully devoted to Jesus. So my question is, is first, is he a spiritual consultant or is he a king to you? Is it full and unrivaled devotion? Or is there a line of obedience that you, you're not yet willing to cross? My prayer for you today is that you'll take that step and say, I'm not going to allow these lesser things to have my heart. I'm going to step in and, and allow Jesus to be the king. King Jesus. If that's you, just right where you're at. I just want you to raise your hand just where, just where you're at. If, you're, if you say, I'm going to move from a consultant to a king, I'm going to view Jesus differently. If that's you, I just want you, I want you to raise your hand just right where you're at. I want to pray with you. Amen. 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 Jesus, I pray for my friends right now. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would do a supernatural work in our hearts. God, that you would reveal the places in our lives that were not fully obedient to you. God, where there is hesitancy, Jesus, you would replace that with full devotion. God, as we step out and trust you, we stand on your word and says, those who trust you will lack no good thing. You are the father of lights. God, you give good gifts to your children. 
God, so I pray for a supernatural revelation of your identity as king today. Amen. And just say right where you're at, I just want to continue, just every head bowed, every eye closed. If today you've never crossed the line of faith, that you've never said yes to following Jesus, today is that day you can make that choice. You can make that decision to say, Jesus, you are my king and I will follow you. If that's you, I just want you to just raise your hand just right where you're at. If you're online as well, there's a place where you can even raise your hand digitally, just, just right where you're at. Amen. I mean, if that's, if that's you online in the room, let's pr- I want to pray this prayer together. Just in your own heart, resolve, make this your resolution. Jesus, you are my king. You are my Lord. And all of my life is yours. I'm fully devoted to take my life and do what you will. In Jesus' name, amen.